This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, today we're going to begin talking about suicide and military loss. And we are we had a show last week with Kim Rococo, and we talked a little bit about the death of her husband to suicide. And she works with TAPS, the Tragedy Assistance Program, which you can find, by the way, going online at taps.org. So we are going to be talking to a gentleman who works for TAPS, whose son uh, committed suicide while in the military. And Heidi, uh, you wa- I want you to introduce him. I know you're uh, working with TAPS and presenting on sibling loss, and I know that you've gotten to know Don and really admired him, and that's one of the reasons we're having him on the show today. So you're the inspiration for having him come on. So could you introduce him? Yes, Mom, and I'm, I'm so glad that Don came on today. And like you said, um, our guest today is Don Lipstein, and he is well-known in TAPS. And the people that go to TAPS, the military survivors, really love him and think very highly of him. And he has not only professional experience in this it, today, but he also has personal experience. So Don Lipstein is a peer mentor, support, and training coordinator. Don joined the TAPS team in July of 2012 after receiving support due to the suicide death of his oldest son, Joshua. He plays an important role in providing hope and healing to military survivors who are just beginning their grief journey. TAPS has helped him find purpose and meaning from his own personal loss. Welcome to the show, Don. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on, Don, and and thanks for all the work you do, and I'm sure in the name of your son, Joshua. Could you talk a little bit about Joshua? I know he had some challenges. Didn't he have a brain tumor or something? Yes, he did. Um, He served two tours of duty in Iraq uh, as a Navy Riverine uh, Master of Arms Second Class, and uh, when he came home in 2009, uh, he had uh, he was complaining about hearing loss in his right ear, and they found a tumor uh, which uh, was blocking his hearing canal. It was um, it was non-cancerous, but uh, the Navy took it out, and uh, that kind of started his downward spiral. That was they took it out in December of 2009. Did, did he get the tumor because of the work he was doing? I mean, was it related at all to what was going on in the in the military, or not really, or was it just separate? We weren't sure. Um, there okay. there was no clear cut uh, answer to that. So, but mm-hmm. he he thought initially he thought it the hearing loss was coming from uh, his firing rifles without That's having what I'm wondering. adequate. Yeah, without having adequate hearing protection, but um, mm-hmm. but a, a tumor, you know, who, who knows how a, a tumor starts? Now, so, did did how did he die? Uh, he he died by suicide. So in two thousand nine, he he had uh, the operation. He became addicted to painkillers, um, and uh, and in two thousand and ten, he really had a a rough year. Uh, I mean, 
mean, there were several good things that occurred. He got married. He had a daughter in September uh, oh. of 2010. But um, and those were the, the good things. But he was waiting for a military or a um, I'm sorry, a medical discharge. Uh, after, mm-hmm. because he wasn't able to carry a weapon any longer and he just didn't want to be sitting behind a desk for the rest of his career. So he uh, they were, he was waiting for a medical discharge and because of his addiction to painkillers, uh, they had to postpone that discharge, which just complicated it more for him because he really, his, his wife and daughter were living in Texas he was living in Virginia Beach, uh, stationed there, and he, he wasn't going to move them uh, because he was planning on getting out. And uh, he he went through a series of complications, and then in February of 2011, his mother passed away, um, and she died of, of cancer. Uh, and uh, a month later, he now, did he? So, how did he take uh, his life? Uh, because I'm thinking our audience is thinking if you're in the military, you would probably do it with a firearm. Um, yes, uh, he, he shot himself. Is that what you're seeing? I know you work as a peer support and, and work with the suicide. Are you seeing that uh, people are mainly taking their life shooting themselves? Uh, that's probably the primary way, uh, just because they have access to that the means. You know, another thing I'm hearing here is the separation theme. He was separated from his wife and his support group, right? You know, his family support. Yeah. And then uh, I know when we interviewed uh, Kim Rococo last week, she was separated from her husband. So it seems to be that theme of, of that, that lack of support. Yes. There's, there's no question that, you know, if he had been in Texas, I think his uh, situation would, wouldn't have seemed as bleak to him, but he was alone. He was, uh, all the people that he served with had gone, they either got out of the Navy or they had gone back, um, to Iraq. So, uh, he had no support system where he was. Uh, that's what I was going to say. You know, he had multiple stressors. And I think it was your report that, you know, the whole idea of why people die by suicide is very complex. It's not just one event. There's multiple stressors. And in, in, your, in Joshua's life, there certainly was. I mean, he had a very serious medical situation. His mother had died in 2011. That's huge. And he, yes. had a lack of, he was isolated from support and was waiting to be honorably discharged. There was a lot going on. And I know from a longitudinal study that I did on firefighter families after 9-11, what we found is that if there is more than three significant life stressors, it really causes a major crisis in people's lives, and they don't know how they're going to cope. And he certainly yeah. had more than three. What comes up for me on this, Don, is the potential for a huge amount of guilt for family members, you know, feeling this person was alone and all that when, you know, the whole circumstances. Are you seeing that with families after suicide in the military? Absolutely, um, and especially initially. So. I can speak on my own experience that I felt very guilty. I, I felt like I should have known, but um, but I I went to counseling, and I received a lot of support through TAPS, and I I got a lot of education around 
suicide because, you know, when you're a family member who has lost a loved one to suicide, you don't know much about suicide until it actually happens to you. And then, and then you start to learn. And I had no idea that suicides were as high as they were in the military um, until it happened to, to my son. And then I started to learn about you know, the guilt and the shame and and the just the, the inability to even speak about suicide or to say the word. Um, there's a stigma wrapped around mental health and suicide that that I had no idea until it happened to me. And and I think that's what's going on with our survivors at TAPS, that they're learning a way um, to be able to talk about it, to be able to, to you know, think that, hey, I, I did everything I could, um, and there there wasn't anything more that, that I could have done um, with the knowledge that I had. So uh, that's what we're finding, for sure. I, I think that's a powerful statement, Don. Sometimes you do everything that you can possibly do, and at the end of the day, people still die by suicide. And the, the other piece is, you know, people are very good at, hiding sometimes what's going on, you know, and kind of putting on their game face when they need to and yep. not really totally showing us what's going on. I mean, I'm a therapist, so you would think, you know, as a psychologist, I would know completely what's going on with some of my clients. And there's been cases where I've been blindsided. So, I mean, if, if I'm even blindsided as a psychologist, I can't even imagine as, a, as just a family member. So I love the idea of getting education and getting support and having other people say, look, I've been there too you know, as a way to kind of alleviate some of this guilt and shame that's out there. Yeah, there's no question that, that that's a real important piece. I know you work with families. Do you see uh, any difference between men and women as far as uh, dealing with the suicide goes? Uh, absolutely. Uh, women are more apt to share their feelings where men will, will keep them hidden. And I, uh, I talk to both men and women and and there's no question that men aren't aren't as likely to reach out for help you know, or assistance. Um, there, you know, there are some exceptions to the rule, but but for the most part, uh, there they men think that they can handle it, uh, handle the loss better than um, than you know anyone else. So uh, they don't seek the help that that women generally will seek. And, and, you know, Don, my mom and I wrote, wrote a book called Real Men Do Cry about this very topic. We wrote it within a former NFL quarterback about his own experience losing his son to suicide. And like you said, the fact that he didn't feel like he could be vulnerable and get out there and, and he felt vulnerable and say, look, I need help. I'm struggling with depression, which he was. My son struggled, but we didn't feel like as guys we could just go out there and and tell people. So I love that, that you're bringing that out also. I think that's an important point. Absolutely, because, you know, Eric was yeah. the same kind of team. He was uh, on a football team, and it's kind of like a military team, and, you know, that kind of thing. And so there was a, a lot of shame around that and a lot of questioning. The other thing I'm, I'm interested in, Mom, and we, we were talking about this before the show, 19 to 30% of TAP's current caseload is dealing with suicide issues and, and families that have had suicides. And I know, Don, before the show, we talked about the fact that this is increasing. Suicides in the military are increasing. And I'm wondering why. What's going on that, that it continues to increase? Well, and, and I don't know 
I don't know that I could say that it's increasing, but the mm-hmm. causes of death that we're being introduced to, the TAPS is being introduced to, currently um, it is increasing because the combat uh, deaths are decreasing uh, based okay. on the fact that apparently we're not in in any combat, but uh, mm-hmm. but so that's that's why our our um, you know, the percentage might be going up only because the, the other causes of death um, are are a little bit lighter right now. Mm-hmm. Good point. So if you had one piece of advice for somebody, and particularly we're talking about guys because they don't get help, who's had a military death, what would it be? Absolutely, reach out to TAP. Um, I I encourage uh, counseling. Uh, that's how I found uh, the best support was through counseling and through through TAPS and, and just getting educated and being, becoming aware of what uh, what is going on and uh, and what's happening to yourself as as you go through this grief journey um, because it, it is a journey and and there's no question. If you don't face it and deal with it, it's going to catch up to you eventually. And um, so it's best to, to try to face that that grief, that um, the mourning and and all of that early on. I know that TAPS has been a big part of your healing journey, and I was wondering what happened at TAPS. What did you do or what did you find that was helpful? What did they do that was helpful for you? Well, I, I it was six months after... Uh, Josh died. I went to a suicide seminar in Colorado Springs, and uh, right there, I, up until that point, I kind of felt very alone. And when I got there, I found 300 other survivors of suicide loss um, that were there. So right, right away, um, I, ne- I didn't feel alone. I felt very welcomed into their their midst, but. The other thing was that I saw people, uh, and Kim Morocco is, is one of those that truly um, helped me find hope that I could get through this because here she was, she lost a love, her husband to suicide. She had two young boys and she was bringing meaning to the loss. She was, she was, she was finding um, she was giving me hope that I could get through this because I saw she had gotten to a safe place, that she was doing okay. She was able to talk about her loss and that she was giving back. And, and when I felt that hope from her, it, it gave me a message that I want to be able to do the same thing for, for others. So there's no question that the TAPS, um, the TAPS model uh, of peer-to-peer emotional support uh, definitely works, and I've seen it right, right now. So in 2011, our suicide seminar, National Suicide Seminar, we had 300 survivors there. This past one in 2014, uh, there was almost 700 survivors of suicide wow, there. So we we are reaching, we're reaching out. That's and, wonderful. Uh, Thank you so much uh, for being on our show today, Don, and for all the work that you do in the name of your son, Joshua, and for the giving back. And I hope people will go to TAPS, 
tapsorg to find out if you've had a military loss. It doesn't have to be suicide, any other kind of military loss. Um, go there and find out when their resources are available. I mean, it's amazing. They have camps. They have conferences. They have all sorts of wonderful things going on. And, and Heidi presents there, right, Heidi? I do. I present in their sibling loss program, and it's it's just a wonderful group of people. TAPS really is a family. You you go in right away and feel like you belong, and it's an incredible organization. I've met people like Don and all the other angels on this earth, like Bonnie Carroll, that are working day in and day out to provide hope to our military families. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you again, Don, for all the work you're doing and for being on our show today. Thank you for having me. I truly appreciate it. Thanks, Don. Joshua's memory lives on through all the work that you do. Thank you so much. And thanks for listening to our show today. And we hope that if you have lost hope, that you'll visit us at our website, opentohope.com, listen to more shows, read articles. And if you've lost hope, lean on ours until you find your own. And God bless. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, Others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.